Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, some of the best episodes we've ever done were ones where I wasn't sure that I was even like supposed to or allowed to talk about it because something in my head said this might be sacrilegious and something you don't think about or talk about. Um, and then as we went through the recordings of these episodes, those have been some of the episodes I've learned the most with. Um, and also the, the simple fact that I'm just one random guy with thoughts. There's no way I can bring down a faith that's had 2,000 years worth of highly intelligent thoughts put into it. My one question isn't going to destroy anything. So when I combine all of that together, uh, it brought me to where I am with today's topic. And the thought was about the individuals themselves um, that got selected who, who wrote Gospels, um, as well as, as those who did it. Because I look at, at people now um, in their desire to write things, and there's a lot of extra motivations that sometimes go into articulating a message than just strictly what were the facts and what is there. There's outside influences that you get to be the one that's selected. Uh, you're, you know, you're number one on the New York Times bestseller. There's... An, an emphasis or a tendency to emphasize upon certain parts or others based upon what you want people to hear. There could be outside factors that make you scared about wanting to say something. So I bring this all up because all of those human emotions exist now and they existed then. And I know that I brought this up a month or so ago, but just the rarity of seeing the head of your faith create a riot um, has to be greatly intimidating to those who are going to to write the Gospels. Because most of them, if not all of them, were Jewish in birth, at birth. And to have the, the head of the Jewish faith um, literally condemn murder is, is something that's scary in, in its own right. So I wanted to bring that up because all of the people who wrote that had all these same emotions. And the same thoughts would have guided their emotions when it comes time to, do I include this detail or omit this detail? So I wanted to have a discussion about that because it's a very human side of how we relate to Christ. Yeah, it's uh, great that you are asking these kinds of questions, Joe. And, and I think, especially in our time, the the church, the the faith has been very open to, I mean, this kind of thing, the, you know, questioning these things or really trying to dig into the uh, the realities to, to take these things seriously as historical events. These are things that really happen. They're real people. They're not uh, characters in stories that we don't have any, uh, that wouldn't have uh, emotions, that wouldn't have struggles, that wouldn't have. So uh, it, just pressing into the realism of it is uh, really an act of faith to begin with. And and I think the the church, especially in our time, uh, for a variety of reasons, that our our time is focused on the subjective experience of things, and so we've we've asked a lot more of these questions, and the and the church has certainly been very unintimidated by looking at uh, those kinds of questions. When we do it, we we do need to do it with a little bit of reverence, lest we start to make dogma out of our own clever ideas that we come up with in looking at these questions. So I just say that to both invite our listeners to ask the kinds of questions, make it real, 
These are real people. They have real thoughts and feelings. Uh, they did live 2,000 years ago, and so uh, some things are not perfectly analogous. And, and, and we have to be careful about our own agenda, too. Sometimes I think people look into these questions and try to use uh, the experience of the apostles. Or, or for example, the, the kind of thing that happens is, well, the Jewish authorities were wrong in their day in a critical way, and therefore the church authorities could be wrong in our day in a critical way. And maybe we're really being like Christ in standing against the power structures of the church in declaring whatever, right? So that's a that's a kind of line that'll get out there. But we have to take the whole thing. He was God and we are not. <laughs> so there's a kind of fundamental difference between what Jesus did in resisting the religious authorities and the structure of the religious authorities and the things that were believed about them were also different. Um, the, the Jewish authorities didn't have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, the structure of the church. They, weren't, uh, they didn't have the sacraments or the, you know, the living presence of Christ in their midst. Uh, they, you know, it's a, it's a, the church is not just the same as, and you're not saying this, Joe, I'm just emphasizing it as we delve into a, a place of speculation, which is a fine thing to do, but just to be careful about not drawing uh, conclusions based on sort of a limited understanding and maybe false analogies is, uh, is important. So I just want to say that up front, we have to always hold these things um, in a little bit of tension with what has been revealed to us. And we, we can't just uh, set that aside. But to press into your question, Joe, which is a great question, like this, you know, I mean, there was a lot of respect. So it's not the same as, you know, the Jewish authorities and that whole system was not the same as what we have now. So again, just to be aware of that. But there's something close enough that we can at least tap into the experience of you know, the apostles wouldn't have been so foolhardy as to think, gosh, uh, this guy got condemned and crucified by the religious authorities. And and we might say, well, why did they press forward? It's actually, it helps to motivate the reality of what they experienced and what they believed. And I have to say what God confirmed through the Holy Spirit in their hearts, that they didn't just totally... Uh, turn tail on on Christ, but they had experienced something in him that would make them stand against the religious authorities. And there's a variety of things going on in there, although miracles are a big part of it. So when you see the guy multiply food for 5,000, when you see the guy heal the, the leper, the blind, the lame, the deaf, again and again, when you see that intervention, when you see him raise someone from the dead multiple times, it has an impact. And so, although the religious authorities were uh, certainly reverenced and trusted and feared and whatever else, they're speaking on behalf of God. And this guy is claiming that he is God and he is demonstrating that he acts like God. <laughs> so, there's something really significant in that. And, and that's where I think your question, Joe, is really important for understanding the, the reality of this. this. Sometimes people will say that the faith was kind of invented you know, by these guys because they really saw something 
important in Jesus. Like he really had it together and he had his kind of philosophy all worked out and he was a really impressive teacher. He was a moral guide. And then they kind of carried on his legacy, but it just doesn't fit the facts for exactly the reason that you're saying. Like he went against the religious authorities. Ultimately their power prevailed and they crucified, they condemned him and crucified him. And, and the apostles still chose to follow him. So they must have experienced something else. And of course, the ultimate miracle is the resurrection. And that was the miracle that, that validated all of the others as being divine and uh, kept them focused on uh, believing and proclaiming the faith as Christ had taught them to do. Uh, so, so it really emphasizes how significant that experience was for them. The resurrection was really a big deal like really a big deal. Like he was really dead and the tomb was, he, he was really placed in the tomb and the rock was big. And when they came back, the tomb was really empty and the, when the stone was rolled away and he really appeared to them. So uh, it, it helps us to press into the realism of that, uh, of that experience for them, of that reality for them and see how significant that is. And, and it gives us some more conviction to proclaim that ourselves. Christ risen from the dead changes everything. God became flesh. He became one of us. He died and he rose. And therefore, what he said to us as God is really true. And we can really give our whole lives for that. And that's what motivates the martyrdom of the apostles, the martyrdom of those saints throughout the ages, and can motivate our martyrdom as well, that we would witness even to the giving of our lives that this is true. And so, so kind of focusing on the actual writers themselves, um, from my understanding of, of looking at the history of it, is that at that point in history, world history and regional history, that the majority of people were not literate. It was, we would tell stories and communicate things orally, um, which there's certainly an art too. But the reason I bring that up is because the ones that were educated um, essentially were Roman government officials or hierarchies in, in the Jewish faith, which by the time we get to the actual writing of the Gospels, both were, were against, were, were against the, the Christians. And I, I see what you're saying there about the conviction and overcoming the fear and the reason of doing that. And as you were, were articulating that, it made me think that Fear is an emotion that they do not readily display in the Gospels until after the Passion. So even though um, they are doing things that are out of societal norms, hanging out with a tax collector, um, hanging out with with a woman who's condemned to death um, for being a prostitute, they didn't have fear with them. And, and I think that speaks to you're seeing Jesus perform all of these miracles and drawing positivity to them. Um, but afterwards there's, there's fear they're, they're hiding in the, they're hiding. I mean, literally they're hiding because of fear. And that's part of what, what, what I want to emphasize there, because even though they have the, the conviction of the Holy spirit to, to sit down and do this endeavor to write it, there still is a reality that's going around that, you know, we could die for doing this. Do, do we want to be 
the ones to put her name on it. So that's the fear side of it. And, you know, you could think of someone like John Hancock who just didn't care and put his signature as busy, big as he could on a similar document that would condemn him to death. Um, or you can think of the other side from, I want to be the one whose voice is heard. So if you're communicating a story, you have to do it in a way that is most palatable to an audience. And I get that, that people are different then, but we still have the same emotions in us that are drawn to well-told stories. And there's a reason that all of, or that the, some stories become popular and some of them essentially never get heard. And it's to that second element that I wanted to, to discuss a little bit because um, I know at the end of Luke's, and I think at the end of all of them, um, each of the writers say, we wrote what we could, but there was a lot more stuff that happened, paraphrasing. And I, that's kind of what I want to step to press upon and to have a discussion about that. I think it's only John's gospel that says that actually. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, the in in terms of well, so we we really have to see the, now the the apostles were afraid. They were afraid of the Lord actually. So they're afraid when he comes to them on the water. They're afraid of the miracles that he's doing. Um, they're they're afraid many times throughout the the passage, but but afraid of him. And and somewhat afraid of the uh, of the Jewish authorities. I mean, they warn him about going to Jerusalem. They, uh, you know, they're but but you're right. When he is with them, they are they are more courageous. And even Peter is, you know, sort of bold and foolhardy. And and that helped. You know, we can draw some insight on that from the definition of fear. So fear is the emotion that comes when we face an evil that we cannot overcome, that we don't believe we can overcome. And so they believed that whatever evil was there, whatever power that wanted to destroy them, hurt them, uh, push them away, stop them, imprison them, whatever power was there, they felt they could overcome it when they were with the Lord. And then when he disappears in death, when they kill him, then they're afraid. But then when he comes back in the resurrection, they're uh, less afraid, although they haven't figured out fully what this means. And then when they're filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they're definitely not afraid. So, and all of the Gospels were, of course, written after Pentecost. And in, in Pentecost, the presence of the Lord, God himself in the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them. And so they're, they're not afraid of the religious authorities. And, and I would interpret the motives not so much both both of those motives are probably laced with some sinfulness, although not um, anyway, you could argue that, but both uh, being, you know, afraid to put their signature on what they wrote and wanting to be the guy to tell the story. Uh, neither of those are particularly pure motives. And I guess I would ascribe to them a holiness that they had pure motives, that they felt called and in fact were inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the author of sacred scripture. So that's a, that's a teaching of the church. The Holy Spirit is the primary author of sacred scripture. So they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Uh, and 
I'd say it's a response to a call. You know, I mean, you could kind of reduce priesthood like, oh, Father Boniface wants to be a priest because he uh, can't get a girl, because he can't get another job, because he's, you know, kind of full of himself and wants to be in the limelight, because he wants to get his name out there, um, or none of those. You know, it could be because I feel called by God to do this, and uh, and I'm, I'm actually focused on that task. So I, I would say... Uh, you know, the evangelists were responding to a divine call in order to be the ones to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to uh, to write sacred scripture. And, and St. Paul, in the same way, is uh, is connected with that. In terms of the real human authorship, that's also true. God didn't uh, possess them and take over their humanity any more than he does with me. But he inspired them and guided them. And so some of the human dimensions of authorship are there. At the same time, I don't know that the, that the Gospels in particular are examples that they would fit into any form of ancient writing in terms of the genre that's used. They, they sort of fit into some scriptural genres, but you know, we wouldn't write a story like that today, and people wouldn't write a story like that back then either. I mean, there is something that's really trying to recount the historical detail. There is some, um, you know, putting it together in a particular way that happens. We see that especially in John's gospel. There's a bit more style to it that you can tease out. But, but there's also something that's, that's kind of unique in the way that they're put together that's not just another form of human literature. And so I think we have to attribute that to some divine influence in the in the work of the evangelists uh, I'm not sure if I covered you may have said something else in there that I that I missed but you certainly did cover it in in way that you brought that up about how they're writing in a style that is something that was essentially non-existent or, or at least very rare and still be able to get the message across today um, also makes makes me think to a certain extent of you know, why hasn't someone done that since? Just from a stylistic standpoint, you know, you're looking at the most popular thing that's ever been recorded and read in history um, in terms of the Bible. Um, why would more people not write like that? Just a common sense question. I get that the subject matter never could be as, as good as Christ. Um, and I guess that might be the ultimate fallback. Um, or you can look at it uh, to a testament to what you just said, that this truly was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and no one would be able to replicate it um, in that way. So, Father, well, oh, sorry. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, clearly, and, and you're making a good argument for it, you know, clearly it's not merely the product of human ingenuity. <laughs> and, and furthermore, the subject, matter, the subject matter that attracts people, right? But I say, when I talk about the genre of it, uh, the thing that most often stands out to people when they read the scripture is like, you know, well, what did Jesus look like? You know, what, what, what about we read, you know, his, his early life and you get a couple things from his, early, you know, his infancy. And then there's nothing until he's age 30 something. We'd never write like that, you know, or you get these kind of choppy phrases and these little stories that don't quite fit together. And it's not exactly a narrative style. You don't know what any of the apostles look like. I mean, did did Peter have red hair? You know, is he was he a striking guy? Was he handsome? Was he old? Was he young? These are all the kinds of details that we care about and that every other bit of literature would include. 
right? But but they're not details that are important when the subject matter is is God's revelation. And so it's we have to take the subject as the thing that's most compelling. That's what is makes it so powerful, and that's why everybody reads it, because they want to know about God. Because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and this is the record that accounts what's most important about him, which is not tied up with earthly details as much, like eye color and hair color and height and age, uh, but it's tied up more with, with heavenly details because it's revealing something about heaven. Jesus is himself heaven on earth, and then he opens the way to heaven, and we learn to see heaven, to see God and his eternity through all of the things that are happening. But because of the, the, the content that is being revealed, the style of its revelation is unique. And so you can't replicate that style with something that's not God <laughs> and, and, and have it, you know, actually capture uh, the, as you said, I mean, it's the most read literature in history. I mean, it's the most copied and widely spread and translated and everything else. I mean, there's a reason that people are drawn to that, not just because they're sort of brainwashed by a religion and they feel compelled to, you know, copy religious texts or something like that. I mean, there is something about the content itself that captures people's hearts and minds. And, and I have to make that act of faith, you know, just to be totally honest, I, I'm always hesitant to invite people just to read the scriptures because I know all of these things that I'm saying in terms of the human literary quality. Now, what something like the Chosen series has done is take a is use more modern techniques of storytelling to share this story. And so it's like a, a layer in front of the of the gospel. Although it's, you know, it's, it has to make a lot of stuff up. I mean, the idea that Matthew was a little bit autistic. You know, they had to make that up. They had to make up some of the details around the, the miraculous catch of fish and what Peter was like before and after his encounter with Christ. And they had to, you know, they had to make some of these things up in order to fill in details that are interesting to most people. But they're, they're trying to tell the story in a way that is more accessible to modern people, that's more in the genres that are familiar to us, uh, rather than the kind of weird approach, you know, the striking and unusual approach of uh, of the authors in sacred scripture. So, um, yeah, why hasn't it been uh, duplicated? You know, I, I think you're right. You, you said either if it were merely a human style that had managed to go viral, then we would figure out how to copy it. But because it went viral due to the subject matter, that it's about God and it really is divine revelation, and it really is authored by the Holy Spirit, but it's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the Lord. It's about the Father. Um, you know, that's that's what makes it really powerful. And so I have to remember that and just make an act of faith when I tell people, you know, just pick up the Bible and start reading it. I usually tell people, read it slowly because it's not written in the same style. Every, you know, there's a certain uh, significance. There's a sign value. Things are pointing beyond themselves, and we have to kind of sit with it, study it, reflect on it, think about it, and and pray. Ultimately, we really need eyes of faith to to penetrate the text most deeply and to really get the the divine content that's that's there. Certainly, and it, it, doing so, it invites you to fill in your own details, as you mentioned that. 
other people have attempted to do and portraying the gospel in many ways throughout the years. Um, and th- you're just thinking of how you would write a history book, you know, about, or nonfiction, I guess is how you would say it. Um, you know, you think of, of just the way that people write about books around World War II and, and the battles there. You know, they'll break down that we wanted to do D-Day the day before, but the storm was bad and, and we weren't able to get the, the intelligence that we wanted. And then you could hear about the waves going up and down as the soldiers were trying to get in their transports, jumping off the boats. And you can think of all these details and pretty much everything on that day you can have an account from for, for many different angles just would have been true with the raw data uh, of Christ at his time. There was many witnesses to everything he did. Um, you know, right. Obviously there's 5,000 people who are there who have an account of how I got fed this fish. Um, you know, presumably it tasted pretty good or else you want to talk about that. But that's another detail that, that we don't dwell upon. Um, but when you were there, you would have known. And what I was trying to get to is when, when you're going through the gospels, they bounce around, you know, you wouldn't go from, if you're talking about D-Day, um, unless you're trying to artistically change things up, you wouldn't go from, this is what happened on June 6th to fast forward to June 22nd and then come back to June 14th. That just wouldn't make sense. I'm not saying that that's what they did, um, in, in the gospel, but the point is, is there would have been transitions for our modern ears to go through it. Whereas if you're going too quickly through the Bible and reading it, you can jump and those transitions are, are not quite as clear. So when it says, when you said read it slower and intently, that's important. And also recognize that this isn't like a book report where you're going to be able to bang the whole thing out in a night and a half. Um, you know, it, this is better if you might not even get a whole page done as you're going through and thinking about it. So with that being said, right. we, we went a little bit longer on this episode, Father. I want to give you a chance to to set, to set give some final words as we move forward into next week. No, I think you gave a, a great summary there. That's uh, what I would say, too, is that uh, you got to take your time with it and recognize it's coming from a little different approach and um, and, and open in faith, you know, I think just making a little prayer that God will help you to understand and interpret correctly what you're reading. Come Holy Spirit, you know, just something simple to ask for that grace is uh, is also a great idea. Perfect. And a great way to carry us into next week. We thank you all for being with you and we will be with you again next week.